Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to the Brandel Chambly podcast with Jaime Diaz, our eighth. And Brandel's here uh, at Golf Channel Studios today. He just came back from uh, the Ally Challenge where he finished 46, uh, pretty good showing, his fourth event. But today we're going to talk a little about uh, a few things that the main topic later on will be uh, the PGA Tour Player of the Year debate, controversy, uh, discussion uh, regarding Rory McIlroy winning and Brooks Kepka finishing second and some of the principles behind what we feel maybe um, the players were thinking in their vote. Uh, but let's start with the Solheim Cup, Randall. And by the way, welcome. Good to see you. Ah, yeah. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Um, Solheim Cup seems like a good place to start. It was a great event uh, by by acclamation. Um, obviously, the Europeans winning with that last dramatic putt by Suzanne Pedersen, which replicated what Bernhard Langer faced at the Kiwi Island in 1991 in terms of being win or lose, no tie, in terms of keeping the cup. Uh, Bernhard missed. Suzanne made and then promptly retired and we can talk about that but first I was curious Brandel uh, as we look at the Solheim Cup it was very two evenly matched teams and which made for a really close and dramatic and emotional competition but I think the subtext is neither uh, the U.S. or Europe have a lot of players in the top 50 uh, in the Rolex rankings the the Asian uh, contingent, the Asian uprising, so to speak, especially the South Koreans, has continually and, and increasingly dominated um, the top of the game in the women's game. And as we will look at uh, the United States, not so much because they lost, but simply because of clearly uh, only 12 players in the top 50. Uh, the, the lowest, uh, the best ranked is, is Lexi Thompson, and the next best is uh, uh, Jessica, excuse me, Nellie Corda at number 10. And then it sort of filtered gradually through the top 50, which is nowhere near where American golf mm-hmm. uh, at the women's game was, in, in certainly in the 90s. And I understand <clears> the globalization. <throat> you're getting bigger numbers from other countries, but there still seems to be a disproportionate number uh, relative to what you would expect from a United States um, contingent. And we've seen this in tennis, and I wonder what you think about maybe what's happening in golf. Well, first of all, the Solheim Cup was uh, was great. I mean, I was playing that day, so I didn't get to really watch the matches. But I can tell you that throughout the week, as the event was was progressing, uh, I was surprised at just how into it the PGA Tour Champions players were. It was on in the fitness trailers. So you come on, and everybody in there would be talking about the matches. Uh, I went to dinner one night with Steve Flesh and Paul Goidos. Goidos said to me he thought it was the best event in all of golf even he thought trumping the Ryder cup because it just had even more passion more scandal you know more emotion uh every and he was adamant about it he thought you know it just went on and on and on and he had all the scandal and all the emotions that has erupted over the years and he just kept using example after example and Sunday morning when I went in I was in the fitness trailers getting ready for my round I saw that the matches were eight eight and then I looked at the, you know, who were out in the final matchups. Uh, and you thought, my goodness, what a lot of pressure it's going to come down to. You know, Morgan Pressel was in that very last match. And then when I was out playing, 
you know, people were talking about it. And when I got in, you, you know, they were replaying the Suzanne Pedersen putt. So, you know, it had a big following on the PGA Tour champions, uh, which, uh, w- which was fun. You know, everybody was, was looking forward to it. The, the, the broader question about the dominance of South Korea, uh, and I think all of golf really can learn uh, from what South Korea is doing and producing premier golfers. You mentioned that the USA has 12 players in the LPGA that are in the top 50 in the world. You think about it, um, South Korea is a country of about 50 million people. The USA is a country of about 330 million. So roughly we have six times the population, and they're producing twice as many golfers in the top 50 because they have around 20 right now by my count in the top 50. They're beating the U.S. and beating the rest of the world for obvious reasons. They have better technique, um, better tempo, and a stronger work ethic. And that work ethic is derived from their culture in general, I mean, and their approach to the game. And you look at their culture, and their culture is based upon a phenomenon known as Confucianism. Confucianism. And that is about hierarchy. It's about age hierarchy. It's about uh, the way you live your life in sort of harmony. Um, and the way, you know, by extension, these young players are taught. They go in in a very group mentality. I mean, their whole country really is about we, us, and our. Our country is more about I and me. We, us, and our means that these kids go into a group. They're taught by, um, by elders who tell them to do this, and they do this. And they tell them to do this, and they do this. There's not that much individuality. You look at the, the swings of, say, Jen Young-Ko, Sun Hume Park, Lee Six, and those are amazing golf swings. I mean, technically, you cannot find fault with them. And then you begin to go down. And look, Nellie Corder and Jessica Corder have phenomenal mm. golf swings. But you go down and you start looking at the other golf swings that have you know, made their way through. And there's there's some good ones, no question about it. I mean, Stacey Lewis had a fabulous golf swing. But in general, you're going to see more idiosyncrasies in Brittany Lincecombe's golf swing, Paula Creamer's golf swing, Lexi Thompson's golf swing. And, and I like that individuality. I do. <clears throat> but better golf swings, better tempo, better work ethic are going to prevail. It's simple as that. They're lucky in that their instructors in Korea have not been susceptible to the half-baked ideas and instruction that have pervaded instruction. Um, We should have had the dominant player. The United States should have had the dominant player, Michelle Wee. But she was undone by poor instruction. Absolutely one of the saddest things in the game of golf. By any measure, though, she's been a success in her life. Stanford degree, won a national championship, won on the LPGA Tour. But when you judge her against the potential that she showed as a teenager, and then by the undoing of her golf swing by very poor instruction, you know, we lost out. You know, the, the LPGA and the world of golf in the United or excuse me, the United States, you know, golf lost out. Um, it's not to say she can't turn around, but it's highly unlikely. You know, it's interesting. What's uh, sorry to interrupt, but what what's amazing is that South Korea, which you would not think of as a hotbed of of golf history or nope, golf traditions, and yet their teachers somehow have come here's up what with the done. right stuff. What it they goes do? back to it goes back to respect for tradition. So, and this is the whole reason I wrote my book on mm-hmm. golf swing: is respect for tradition. Uh, they look at the greatest swings of all time. So when these kids, these young women, 
go into and begin to study the golf swing. They watch in slow motion the great swings of the past. They watch and develop the concepts. The best way to learn when you study you know, where prodigies come from, they learn and put the pieces together slowly at first, gradually, get the mechanics down, and only then do they up the speed. It is more about speed in this country first and mechanics later, and the golf swings suffer. The golf swings are not as good in this country. Again, I say that recognizing that Nellie Corda and Jessica Corda have fabulous golf swings, and perhaps they'll matriculate to mm -hmm. the top. But for the most part, they don't have the tempo, they don't have the work ethic, and they don't have the mechanics. The instructors in South Korea were not um, hoodwinked into thinking that the things that were going on here in the United States in the 80s and the 90s, uh, really because you know, it's the 90s and the, the 2000s, you know, they didn't fall victim to this keep the flex and the right knee and stack and tilt and various other half-baked and half-brained ideas that pervaded teaching in our country and robbed us of potential stars in this game. Even now, the players on the LPGA Tour that come from the United States are, to some extent, impoverished by the instruction that, that they have been susceptible to. You go look again at the swings of Jin Young-Ko, Sun Hume Park, Lee Six, scores of others. Go look at their golf swings. And you, I mean, it, you, you almost can't believe how technically yeah. proficient that those golf swings are. So, again, the whole world of golf could learn from the instruction that is going on in South Korea. You go online and read it. I've done, I've gone, I've read many articles about their instructors. I've met their instructors. And they have legends swinging golf clubs. So this is Mickey Wright. This is Babe Zaharias. This is Patty Berg. This is Louise Suggs. They recognize those golf swings. We dismiss those golf swings yes. as if they're, you know, they're outdated. relics of the past yeah. and, and yeah. useless uh, to our present. Uh, you go look at Sam's Need, Ben Hogan, Byron Nelson, and you go see these golf swings are in slow motion. They learn from him. They study these mechanics. And again, though, there, there's you know not, not that much individuality in their golf swings. They do kind of look, a lot of them, similar, although Sun Hume Park has more elements of power in her golf swing. And, and you realize that, now, in the long term, is this better off? I, I don't know. In the long term, maybe the fact that there's more individuality in, in our country, amongst our players, it serves them better in terms of balance with their lives down the road. But in the short term... Yeah. They're getting beat on the golf course by better instruction, better form, better rhythm, and better work ethic. And the variable is the quality of the um, the knowledge behind the the instruction. Absolutely. And so, and in other I words, mean, if they were all if they were all uniform but had bad well, look, they're lucky. Information. They're lucky if but, they were if they had the the instructors that yeah. have brought down yeah. some of the huge stars that should have. Pervaded. The Lydia Ko was brought down by poor instruction. Um, you know, can she turn it around? I, I don't know. She was headed in the right direction the only until idiosync. she was like Michelle Wee, a victim yeah. of of a, almost a conspiracy by management <laughs> to work them into and be taught by the same person, so that it would be in the same family. If you just let her go, continue to work with who she was working with. Michelle Wee had continued to work with who she was working with. Their careers would have been more organic. Mm -hmm. Experience would have made them better. 
experimentation. They had the form when they were teenagers that would have served them beautifully throughout their career. They did not need to change to some, again, in my opinion, wrong ideas about yeah. golf instruction. So the same thing happened to Yanni Sen. I mean, yeah. she was on her way. So it's not just American players. It's, uh, but you go, you go look at Lee Six golf swing. What she's doing. You go look at Jin Young Ko's golf swing and Sun Hume Parks and you think or N G Chun. NG, I mean yeah, no. You go look at those golf swings. Never and off think, balance. And and, yeah. and, and and yet nobody I mean mm. I mean, people talk about their rhythm and then they talk about them in, in general saying, Wow, they're amazing. They're beating the US players as if it's just, you know, dropped out of the sky. There's cause and effect. No, yeah. no, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. It's the preparation. Mm -hmm. It's all the antecedent work that went before that you know, yeah. that, that that has led to this in, in the world of golf can learn from, from it's a, South it's a, Korea. It's a great analysis and the dynamics are fascinating. Uh, the only only South <clears throat> Korean great, all-time great I can think of that followed the American model, so to speak, of individuality is probably M.B. Park, as far as her swing. Now maybe she learned from the same instructors, but maybe her Park? body type creates something that's a little different. M.B. Park, well, again, yeah, her yeah. swing's a little individualistic, but the mm -hmm. rhythm is there. Yeah, no, exactly. The rhythm is there, Yeah, and that rhythm creeps into every other part of her game her yeah. pitching her putting, her putting. Yeah. her putting is fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. um and you know look the way she swung the golf club was was fantastic did it hit all of the i don't mind again i don't mind the individual no i know you nature. don't i'm just saying, i don't mind it at all it's just not as conformist lexi, as the other but but yeah. lexi thompson you know she's she's got a fabulous golf swing is it does it is it as good technically as jen young coast no but it's it's more powerful but she just struggles on the greens Mm -hmm. You know, she really does. Uh, the same thing was, uh, uh, you know, the same thing sort of, you know, Paula Creamer had a very idiosyncratic golf swing. Um, but, you know, life got in the way. Um, Morgan Pressel looked like she was going to be a world beater. You know, who, who knows? Uh, you know, life got in the way. Mm -hmm. um, Brittany Lincecum has got um, a very unusual golf swing. Um, you know, you could say the same about Joaquin Neiman, uh, which we'll talk We're about not, here in a yeah. minute. He's got an unusual golf swing. But Brittany Linscomb wanted balance in her life. Now, which is better, to have this huge success in golf or to have life balance? Well, and then we see with, with, if there is a downside to the South Korean model is that burnout or at least the end of the career seems to come sooner. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in time, you know, uh, we'll have a clearer picture of what's better for the individual down the road. And... You know, but you find, you know, Lee Six doesn't travel with her family. Lee Six is, you know, she's out there on her own, you know, in her early 20s, making it up as she goes along. And by all accounts, she's very well balanced in her life, but very dedicated and been taught very well in her career. So, you know, they'll find the right balance in time. But in the meantime, I think all of golf can learn from, you know, what's going on with the South Koreans producing such a disproportionate high number of world-class young golfers. Thank you. You mentioned Joaquin Neiman. You were on him early uh, mm. when he made the tour at 19 without having to go through the Corn Ferry. Um, he's a true talent. He won the Latin American uh, amateur. He's pretty much self-taught. He's got an amazing move. Uh, I wondered, and, and his ball striking stats are excellent in terms of accuracy, especially in hitting greens. He's long, but he's not super long, but he really hits a lot of quality, straight, long golf shots. What uh, stands out to you as far as his technique or his approach uh, that maybe is unusual and maybe marks him for something special? Just a very, 
um, stable release, you know, and he gets that by having a lot of right lateral bend at impact. So, you know, his right side really goes down towards the ball at impact, which keeps his right arm bent or short and his left arm um, broken, which is the way to have the most stable club face. Um, if your left arm is broken at impact and your elbow's pointing towards the target, you're very limited in the amount of uh, pro pronation yeah. supination that you can have in your in your lead wrist. Um, you know we're going to see with Victor Hovland this year um, just how incredible that that move is, how straight that move hits the golf ball. Um, Was uh, Calvin Pete in retrospect? Uh, yeah, fortunate well, in uh, that regard uh, that he broke his arm and had that sort yeah. of permanently let uh, bro uh, yeah I mean Cal elbow. Calvin Pete had an amazing body motion to go with it very much like Ben Hogan's body motion to go with um, that incredible uh, impact position you know I mean people all the time you know say Mo Norman this and Mo Norman that it's like stop it with Mo Norman I've got nothing against Mo Norman it was a fine move and he hit it straight enough and I watched him but just stop it. Mo Norman, if Mo Norman hit the ball as straight as Calvin Pete, he would have done what Calvin Pete did. Now, I realize Mo Norman was dealing with other issues off of the golf course. But in terms of just hitting golf shots, nobody hit the golf ball straighter than Calvin Pete. In the statistical world, we have data that says that, you know, I mean, that Calvin Pete was the straightest hitter of all time. Now, anecdotally, maybe Ben Hogan was. Um, but, you know, Ben had elements of power in his golf swing um, and was able to hit, you know, the ball as long and straight, which is, which is the primary uh, objective. But, but Calvin Pete should be lauded the same mm -hmm. way Mo Norman yeah. is lauded in terms of his ability to hit. You know, they laud Mo Norman in Canada, and, oh, and, and good for them. And okay? America, too. Right? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, well, among, it's, a, it's, it's sort of a cult figure. There's a little myth building going yeah. on yeah. there, yeah. And, I, and I get it. He was a, a lovable uh, character and idiosyncratic but in terms of myth building mm -hmm. we you know we could do the same with calvin pete mm -hmm. you know calvin pete hit the ball measurably as straight as people want to say that mo norman hit the golf Got ball uh, but along those lines again um you know as instruction is getting better as i i think i touched on this in the last show i do believe that social media access peer review so those half-baked ideas that I was talking about in instruction that pervaded instruction for so many years um, are getting kicked to the curb, and we're getting better ideas. Players are coming out. They're teaching themselves. Joaquin Neiman does have an instructor down in Chile, mm -hmm. but, um, but, and so does Victor Hovland. He has instruction, but Victor has taught himself on YouTube, and I'm sure the same is true of Joaquin Neiman. All these kids, you know, as I said you know, on the last show that uh, Twitter skews negative and it skews left. But YouTube skews towards men, towards young men in particular. And, you know, you start to look at, you know, these players coming up and there's just no question in my mind that they're teaching themselves on YouTube. They're watching what works, the great swings. You can go on there and look at anybody's golf swing and you can slow it down with high frames per second. And what I love about Joaquin Neiman's golf swing again is just how amazing his impact position is with the broken lead arm mm -hmm. and the and the uh, bent right arm or bent trail arm. Um, it, you know, you you cue up uh, 
Barry Bonds baseball swing. And you are going to see virtually the same impact position in Barry Bonds uh, swing as Joaquin Neiman. Um, you know, bent arms, broken arms. Uh, that's how you lower your MOI, your lower your body uh, moment of inertia so that you can spin faster. This is why speed skaters have their arms close to their body. If they extended them, they would slow out their rotation. Um, this this is going away from width on the downswing, which is just a bunch of bull. Um, the longest hitters may have width in their backswing to gain momentum, but they get much more narrow in their downswing so that they can say that they can increase their ability to rotate and also have more stable releases. And you see that in Joaquin Neiman. And you're saying that the bent left arm position obviously adds to accuracy as yeah, well. Yeah, it does. And a great and example of that, it, it adds to the stability. A fellow by the name of Kelvin Mariara came up with a great, um, I think, picture of just how that is so. So imagine you're sitting in your car, right? And you grabbed your steering wheel at 6 o'clock, okay? Now, to do that, obviously, your, your, Almost like your arm would yeah. be mm -hmm. in a curling position, right? Mm -hmm. So imagine you've grabbed it underhand and wrapped your, your fist around the steering wheel. Now, now, how much could you turn that steering wheel? You could turn that steering wheel literally from 6 o'clock all the way around to likely 3 o'clock. Mm -hmm. Okay, You could do that. Now, think about that. Mm -hmm. You could almost turn it all the way around to 6 o'clock. It would have that much play. Now, imagine if you grabbed that same steering wheel with your elbow pointed out, say parallel to the ground, at 9 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And then try to imagine how much you could turn that steering wheel. You couldn't turn that steering wheel but to about 12 o'clock. Mm -hmm. You'd have very little rotation. You'd have very little ability to rotate without moving your arm. And that pretty much describes what a bent left arm does at impact. So when you're at impact, you know, I mean, you should be setting up at a dress with your left elbow sort of pointed mm -hmm. towards the target, not towards your left hip bone, as right. Hogan wrote, that Hogan book, wrote which yeah. Hogan did not do. Okay. You know, you, which you, Jordan Speed. Does. Your left yeah, elbow yeah, yeah. should be more or less pointed out towards the target or in that general direction. And certainly an impact, if you thought about having your left arm off your body and pointed it at the target, off your body and broken, your impact, I mean, there's very little rotation that you could have in your lead wrist. If your elbow is pointed at your hip, okay, and, and your arm is straight, I can turn my hand almost 360 degrees. Now, which rotation do you want? You don't want less. That. Yeah. Less. Yeah. You want less. But now, wouldn't and centrifugal force cause the arms to elongate? Somewhat, it will, mm -hmm. but not as much as you would think. Mm -hmm. Certainly not. I mean, yeah. you know, look. I mean, you'd say the same with Barry Bonds. I mean, who turned faster than Barry Bonds? Right. Did, did centrifugal force cause his arms to straighten? Well, the depends on no, the pitch location. I mean, inside nah. pitch, he could turn on it faster. And he, had uh, he could turn on it on outside pitch. And I you, promise you, you hear all the time in the straight. booth on baseball, oh, he got his arms extended on that one. Yeah. So well, that's, that's a misnomer. Not, not, Barry, yeah. not Barry Bonds. And okay, getting yeah. your arms extended is, is for speed-wise. Yeah. Look, there's aerial views of players who could knock it out of the park, going back to Mickey Mantle. Mm -hmm. okay? You can look at aerial views, and you can trace the path of their bat. And it is, there are no straight lines. If you get your arm straight, you've moved your hands in a straight line. Mm -hmm. the arm, if you follow the, the, the curvature, the curvature of their hands follows the curvature of their bodies. Mm -hmm. I'm no batting expert, but I look at this stuff for parallels to golf swings. And the same is true in, in, in golf swings. 
and more and more young players are are teaching themselves and finding out these dynamics and and realizing that look that's why I love the long drive that we have yeah. on our air the world long drive again it does, it does teach people those in charge please introduce an accuracy element because then we really have something mm -hmm. okay those with five shots the least dispersion longest shots then we really got something but in the meantime this world long drive those guys are like as I've said before, human lie detectors, they get rid of all the junk in instruction. If, if all this stuff that you read really does make you longer, why don't they do it? Mm -hmm. So you look, all of them are very narrow on the downswing. Mm -hmm. All of them, really narrow. Wide going back, narrow coming down. This idea that width on the way down makes you more powerful, again, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, if they introduce an accuracy element to that program, then the golf swings will change. Uh, you know, somewhat subtly uh, with more accuracy elements to them. Thank you. Um, oh, I did it again. Sorry, <laughs> Gary. Okay. Well, no, Gary gets an opportunity now. Gary Williams is always telling me, don't say uh, thank you <laughs> to Brandel Shambly ever. <laughs> but, but I silently do. And uh, Brandel, you, you had a nice week uh, on the champions, uh, <clears throat> PGA Tour champions. Um, didn't putt at your best, but you certainly hit the ball beautifully. You're 16th in GIR, I noticed, at the Ally Challenge. And you just come in here in your workout outfit and just come from, you know, trying to transform your body a little bit. Can yeah, you tell you know, us about the well, process look, I'm, here? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to play. Uh, you know, I'm not giving up my day job. I, I love what I do. But in my off time, I'm trying to get as much uh, out of my body as I can, which means, you know, I'm trying to go to the gym, trying to stretch. And, you know, you go... You, you know, you go into the gym at, at a tour event or a champions event, these guys are in there, you know, twice a day, you know, stretching, working out, watching Bernard Langer go through his routine. I, I was I was actually, you know, compelled to write about it yesterday, which will you know, be on our website soon enough. Just watching what he's done um, is, is amazing. Um, but, you know, I had my coach out, Lucas Wald, and uh, – and I, I, you know, I finally, one, felt pretty good physically, and, and two, felt good about my golf swing. And it was the first time that I've had uh, the ability to sort of go in there and have, have practice. Uh, I, I wasn't particularly happy with the way I played round number one. Um, I switched irons, so I hit the ball much better round number two and three. But I only missed one fairway on Saturday, only one fairway on Sunday. Um, I drove it great, um, hit my irons much, much better. Um, you know, I pitched, chipped, and putted better on the weekend. Um, I, li I like the way my game's going. Um, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to try to play as, as much as I can in the off season and going forward and just see, you know, I'm getting better incrementally. I'm putting the pieces of the puzzle together. And uh, I continue to work on the things that, again, that I wrote about, that I believe in, using myself as sort of a guinea pig. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, my coach is convinced, uh, you, you know, I mean, Look, I, I'm aware of this. I, I dig up stats. Stats don't always tell the whole truth at all. Um, um, you know, but, you know, you look and you're like, well, you know, you didn't hit it very far and you didn't putt very good. It's like I did putt better on the weekend, uh, no question about it. I had a lot of opportunities for birdie that I didn't cash in on. Um, and I, I did hit it, you know, a little further. I had a little more pop in the bat, even though the stats don't say that because, you know, I hit a couple of the only fairways I missed. I hit two trees mm -hmm. and they kicked way back and that's the way it works. But, uh, but no, I had, I had more pop and, uh, uh, I had more control. 
and it was fun. And it's fun to get out there and see the guys, and you realize just how good they are. Jerry Kelly won with 15 under par. Uh, we played Warwick Hills from the same yardage that the tour we, used to. That, yeah. that the tour mm-hmm. used to, mm-hmm. and it and we used to play it in July, and it was fast. Well, we played it in September, and it and there was a deluge, so it rained. So you got zero row. You know, you had every ball had mud on it. So I mean, the golf course would have played 7,300, 7,400 yards long, and Jerry Kelly shot 15 under par. So. I'm impressed with just how good the players are. I'm impressed at how hard they work. Um, I've really enjoyed getting out there and playing with, you know, Tommy Armour, who I grew up playing with, Corey Pavin, who I grew up playing. Uh, you know, I played with VJ Singh on Sunday at the Allied Challenge. <laughs> he hit one on the fifth hole. I was hitting pretty darn good, so I was within 10 to 20 yards of him early on. But then he got up on the fifth hole, and he hit a drive that must have gone. It must have carried 320. Oh my um, and the second he hit it, uh, you know, you, you know, you absolutely knew it. I mean, um, I think Steve, no, it wasn't Steve Jones. Dan, Dan, uh, Dan Forsman was in the group, and Dan and I just looked at each yeah. other like, "Holy <laughs> cow!" Uh, it was something else. Um, you know, it was like a, I think it holds like four sixty or seventy. But again, it's all carry, all carry, and he just hit a beautiful wedge to the back pin, or a tap in. Played like Matthew Wolf, basically. He did, he did. <laughs> it was it was impressive to watch. But again, you know, I'm playing with VJ Singh, and I thought, well, here's a guy who's 56, I think, who's got a very long golf swing, who has not let it get shorter, who continues to work out. Um, he hasn't won quite as much as he should out there, but you know, if he putted better. He would do what Bernard Langer does out there um, because, you know, the power is still there. So it was really fun watching him hit the golf ball. And you've really joined the culture in terms of you improving your physical instruments. So well, I'm trying. You know, I like mean, my uh, coach, you, Lucas. You're, you're 10 pounds lighter uh, close last to time it, Close yeah. to it, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, our coach is convinced that I can add 5 to 10 miles an hour club head speed. Uh, and that's enough to get me out of bed and in the gym early in the morning. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, this is it. This is all you got. And I think, again, we're all learning from Bernard Langer. He's 62 years old. Langer's in the gym a couple times a day. And you look at his body, you, you know, if you looked at him from the shoulders down, you'd think he's 35 or mm-hmm. 32. Um, you know, Brady's extended, uh, you know, the possibilities. Uh, um, Federer, Nadal, you know, the what's going on in sport is is – exciting because players are coming up with different ways to diet different days to work out to to optimize um their potential and, and longevity uh, i mean i'm i'm 57 and uh, have a real job that keeps me from doing this all the time but that doesn't mean um i'm not going to give it a go when i'm off okay well let's go to our main topic um which you know i think has a lot of uh legs has a and resonance because it <clears throat> It speaks beyond just Rory McIlroy being chosen player of the year. Um, and there's a debate about whether that was more deserving than, than Brooks. But the criteria, and of course we don't know because the, the vote for the PGA Tour player of the year is for the players and it's kept confidential. We don't know the numbers. We don't know who voted for who. But we can extrapolate because Rory won that in this case, at least, consistency and Perhaps um, a, an increased value on the tour's premier events is starting to encroach on the primacy of 
the four majors, which over the years has been considered sort of the gold standard for what makes up a great year and who should be the best player of the year. Uh, so I'm wondering, as you look at this, uh, does it signify anything related to what I just said, or do you look at it differently in terms of Rory simply being the best player um, mm -hmm. on the merits of just his everyday golf? Uh, what should be the criteria for PGA Tour Player of the Year, and, and do you agree with uh, what happened? Well, there's a lot to take in there, um, but I'll say that when he won the Tour Championship FedEx Cup Sunday night, I said he should be Player of the Year. I said he will be Player of the Year. Um, you know, it was, and I think you can, and I have, and will continue to make a strong argument that that he he was player of the year, no question about it. He had the better year than Brooks Kepka. Um, you know, the idea that majors should should hold sway in the decision process is, I understand it, um, and they still, I think, will continue to hold sway to some degree, but they should not be the sole determinant of who had the better year. I get why riders are so reluctant to cede any ground to the Players' Championship for whatever reason. Uh, they have beefs with the PGA Tour, but maybe it's, it's deeper than that. Um, you know, the idea of majors being the sole criteria for determining a great year has its roots, first of all, in the myth makers in the game of golf, people in your industry, going back to the Grantland Rice and the O.B. Keelers and the Jim Murrays. Great writers, no question about it, but they're myth makers. They were uh, rosier pros and told stories that were, I guess, some elements of truth to them, but they were, they were nothing short. They were hyperbole. Uh, elite ran, elites ran the biggest events in the game of golf. Okay, elites founded the USGA, elites founded Augusta National, elites founded the RNA, and elites had the idea to start the PGA of America. Elites owned the newspapers and controlled what was written and to some extent smoothed with the writers and controlled how these majors were heralded. Bobby Jones won them. Jack Nicklaus came along at the same time. Bobby Jones was written up by O.B. Keeler and Grantlin Rice, and Nicklaus came along. And, of course, Dan Jenkins and Bob Drun gave more birth to the power of these major championships. But uh, And they, they continued to hold precedence. But in this day and age, we have more objective criteria by which we can judge big events. When I called the Players' Championship the premier event in the game of golf, if you don't want to call it a major, I'm fine with that. It's not. It is, though, the premier event in the game of golf, and people raise their hands and get upset. You look up the definition of premier, and once you get back to, past the political definition of premier, you get to highest rank. Before you get to order, you get to highest rank, which means the best rank. The highest ranking event in the world of golf is the Players' Championship far exceeds the depth of the PGA Championship and every other major championship. So no longer should all precedent, all credence, all ground be ceded to major championships. I think players are smart enough to understand this. I, I also think that the Varden Trophy is just as weighty as winning a major championship, if not more so. It, who has a better year, somebody who has a great week in a major championship or somebody who wins the Varden Trophy. And this is really nothing new. The PGA Tour Player of the Year began in 1990. In that particular year, there was a player that only played two majors. 
and he missed the cut in both of them, and he won Player of the Year. PGA Player of the Wait, Year. There was a, that's yes. right. There was another player that won two major championships, and people say, well, Nick Faldo wasn't a member of the PGA Tour. In 2008, Bernard, or excuse me, Podrick Harrington got PGA Tour Player of the Year. Why? Because he won two major championships. I think players differentiate between mm. who had the better year. Wayne Levy won five times in 1990. And you start going through who wins PGA Tour Player of the Year. Look, Justin Thomas won PGA Tour Player of the Year in 2017 over Brooks Kep or excuse me, over Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth had the better year in the major championships that year. He but had the better year. Justin won one. But Justin won. They each won three tournaments. They each won a major championship. Jordan Spieth won the Open. Now you're talking about 2017. 2017. Yes, okay. Okay. Yes. Uh -huh. But Justin Thomas yeah. won the FedEx Cup. Mm -hmm. Okay. Jordan Spieth won the Open Championship. And I do believe the Varden Trophy. Yeah, the Varden Trophy. So it was close, but they gave it to Justin Thomas. They voted. They didn't give it. I mean, no, it's, it's fluctuated voted. over the years. So the idea that it is, there's a conspiracy or it's a popularity contest. Look, writers are guilty of the same sort of subjectivity that they're accusing the players of when they say that major championships should hold precedent and that they shouldn't cede ground to the players. They're choosing to 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 change, to, to look at the, the, the major championships with a bias, that they mean more, that the pressure means more. Ben Hogan was asked this question about major championships. Did they matter more? Was there more pressure? And you know what Ben Hogan said? Every tournament I played yeah. is a major. Every To some every extent, event Tiger is said that himself. I'm every there. tournament is a major champion. It's, very, it's, it's a very confused, over-the-years uh, controversy. You had Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus certainly promoted the importance of majors. And when Podrick won in 2008, Tiger, of course, but, won. But Jack did it because Bobby Jones well, had won the most, and he won. I mean, you said a lot of things, and, and I you know, take them all uh, very seriously, and, 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 and there's a lot of credence to a lot of it. I th when you talk about the primacy or the premier uh, status of the players, I don't necessarily disagree. Now, I, I come from the writing background. Um, I always felt like that's a great tournament, and, and you can make a, an argument that's got the best field, and I love the golf course. Well, it's not an argument. It's objectively true. Well, I don't know what's field. objectively true when you start talking about yeah, the field in terms of the world ranking, yes. The golf course, is it the best test? I think that's where the majors often you know, hang their, their argument, which is the setup demands the most skill. <clears throat> the players who win it are the most skillful. Right. They are the best players. Yes, it may only have one week or two weeks where they That's were right. on that year, but that performance is weighty. That's right. uh, and it's also an easier way to categorize history. And that's, I think, where the writers like to use majors as the standard because golf has so many variables and there's so many different ways that you can you know, compare players that are disparate, but at least there's a commonality of playing in the majors. So let's just mm -hmm. let's just rack up the major record and simplify it that way. And yeah, Jack's the sure. best, and Tiger's next. Sure, seems to make it makes it's great easy. sense. It's easy, and yeah. I and I am with you that you know there's more to it, and we have more data now. Um, but there's an awful lot I think to be said about the major still being considered where the golf is toughest. Nothing's going to change. They'll and as a result, the players who win it at their best are the best players in general. Now, I give you Rory this year 
having the best stroke average, having the best strokes gained, margin, all that stuff I think is really important and hasn't been given enough weight over time. I would say though, if we're just talking about this year, that at the biggest moments when the pressure was highest and the scrutiny was the greatest, Brooks performed better and Rory actually performed the worst of his whole uh, year in terms of, um, you know, bringing his game. And I think that had weight. Uh, it did for me. I felt mm -hmm. like Brooks was the guy at the biggest moments, which, you know, you can say week to week's more important in terms of consistency, but I still think golf is about who's the best when they're playing their best. Yeah. And Brooks was that. Well, look, as I've said, it was close, yeah. right? I mean, Brooks played better in the major championships. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's no debate there. I mean, it's... it's, it's no, and it's, I'm not it's, trying it's, to simplify it's, it's to only enough. that. He I, also I, won three tournaments just like Rory. He did, yeah. but I mean, mm -hmm. if, you know, I mean, you start to look at the tournaments that he won and measure them against the tournaments that, yes. that Rory won, and it comes down as pretty close. But Rory won the strongest field in the world of golf on what I would argue is a... I cannot think of a golf course in the world that they play the majors on or the that would beat... TPC Sawgrass. I can't think of one that in terms of what it asks of a player in terms of versatility, mm -hmm. what it asks of a player in terms of taking on uncomfortable shots, like the cut over the water that Rory hit on the last hole. Yes. So when you say big moments... That I'm, was a great moment. I'm and sorry. One of the great no, drives. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's hardly a bigger moment than that in the game of golf uh, this year. Um, and, and he didn't come up small there. Uh, at all, and he didn't come up small against Brooks at the Tour Championship with with the, the FedEx Cup on the line and also the Varden Trophy on the line, which he certainly knew about, uh, and Patrick Cantley had the lead. So he didn't come up small there. It was close, but again, on every single... This is PGA Tour player Yes, that's true, too. So yeah. in every metric mm -hmm. that the PGA Tour uses, okay, Varden Trophy, uh, you know, how do they judge the, mm -hmm. the year? Right. Uh, Season-long race. And, their, the and their two Cup. biggest tournaments. And their biggest event, yeah, the yeah. players. And, the, won and the Tour Championship. Strokes gained total. And, and again, FedEx, okay, yeah. so the strokes gained total doesn't um, doesn't collect data at a couple of different major championships. Fair enough. Um, but there was still a very wide gap, almost twice the gap between strokes gained total for well, um, Rory not, and I'm really not disagreeing with you, Brandel. I, I, no, I'm just... No, know. no, I mean, I am disagreeing I, that I, in this case, I, I, I shaded towards Brooks, uh, but but not by as much as maybe the I, not, I, I prognosticators. Read, I read the conspiracy theories. I read the people that were incredulous that Rory... And, and look, they're, they're giving too much credence to major championships. Um, mm -hmm. You know, majors matter more than any other, but they don't matter more than every other. I mean, um, I mean... I mean or should I say they don't they don't hold precedent or they don't obliterate yes, everything else. Yes, and I else. agree with that. And it, so it was close. Um, and I would also say know. in the larger sense moving forward that majors will take on less weight. They won't have be such predominant weight. Yeah, world I, rankings. I, I, world rank. There's a lot of things now where we see actually I think strokes gain has been an incredible insight into who plays the best and who has strengths and who has weaknesses yeah. and evaluating a player. Yeah. And when a player 
leads strokes gained, especially by a large margin. And Rory's is the best, other than Tiger Woods in history, of, of strokes gained. Uh, that tells me, okay. It reminds me of the 60s when Billy Casper used you know, to be considered by the players the best golfer of, of even Jack, Arnold, and Gary when they were the big three. Because week to week, he was the most consistent and had the fewest bad days and just seemed like he had yeah. more control of the golf ball than anybody. Yeah. And, and Rory had that kind of year, even though he's a power player. He had that kind of year. And I think players, and you were a player, and are a player, but certainly on the PGA Tour, you were a good player who won. And it seems like talking to players, they respect that consistency more than somebody bringing it for three or four weeks a year. Yeah, you know, and, and, and look, to... To say that it, it is somewhat subjective is stating the obvious. I mean, everything is somewhat subjective. Uh, you know, um, you know if, if Brooks had not gone into the media center and diminished right. regular tour sure. events that... to insignificant, the, the... How do you think that played in the locker room, and how do you think I'm that sure played at the ballot box? I'm sure it didn't play very yeah. very good. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, sure, I'm sure there were people sitting at home, but like, you know, he's he essentially calling what we do for a living insignificant except for four weeks a year. Uh, I'm not sure players bought that, you know, the only time he practiced was when he was at majors and mm-hmm. the only, you know, if you show, if you saw him at regular tour events, um, that's the only time he played golf unless it was, you know, leading into a major championship or whatever he said. But he, basically he dissed regular tour events and, and deemed them um, by – uh, inference as insignificant, and I'm sure that didn't play well. Um, and then you're talking about with Rory, um, one of the most popular players that I've ever seen. You know, um, I, I, honestly, I, I I don't know of a more um, um, amazing person off of the golf course that's that's played the game than Rory McIlroy. Uh, that is so respected by his peers. Than Rory McIlroy. I mean, he is, he is. Look, I mean, Arnold Palmer reminded us of this, but um, he's proving that it is one is able to be a great champion and a great person. You know that 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 you can have some comportment off of the golf course, some humility off of the golf course when you're doing things that boggle the mind of everybody else. I mean, it is so easy to win these championships, surround yourself with people who wouldn't dare tell you you're out of line for fear of losing their position to you and, by extension, some uh, popularity and money and fame or whatever. And, and, and the players that surround themselves like that are impoverished um, in their, in their uh, comportment. But not Rory. I mean, he is a great example mm-hmm. of how to of how to handle yourself. And there's others too. I mean, you know, certain, certainly Jordan Spieth is that way. There's no question about it. Um, and I have no doubt that Ricky Fowler would be that way if he started achieving what Jordan Spieth and, and Roy McIlroy have achieved. Let me ask you, if you don't mind, it just occurred to me that you were voting. I assume uh, most of those years that, yes. that you played. Yes. And so, you know, there were some controversial votes. In fact, the first two. Uh, were Wayne Levy, 1990, and then Fred Couples uh, in 91. And those are the only two occasions until this year that the PGA of America point system and the PGA Tour 
uh, Player of the Year didn't align. Uh, and I wondered how you voted uh, in 89, do you recall? And actually, a lot of people thought Greg Norman should have won. 90. Excuse me, 90. Well, yeah. It was the 89 season, but yeah. yeah. How, how did you vote? Did you vote for Levy, for Faldo, for Norman? Uh, I would have probably voted for Levy because, you know... He I, won four I, times. I, five, I believe. I believe he won five. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, but, yeah. but uh, I know he missed a lot of cuts, but, but that's... But, beside, let's just yeah, say I think they, if they I valued, remember correctly, mm-hmm. he won five, and they were his only top tens of the year. That's the way I remember it. Um, but Wayne was a... You know, he was sort of a taciturn fellow, but he was, I think, popular. You know, mm-hmm. he was... You know, I certainly found him to be a likable fellow. I enjoyed playing golf with him, and we could talk about, you know, he was a, a stock market geek. Yeah. So you could play golf with him and talk about other things. But if you go through the PGA Tour Player of the Year, there are years where if you dove in, you could find some questionable choices. I mean, um, you know, couples won 91-92. Well, that yeah. was pretty pretty easy even though couples didn't win a major in 91 price won in 93 94 yeah norman 95 layman 96 96 was a little bit controversial because phil won four that's and, right and layman won two but one was a major right it was yeah, a little yeah. controversial yeah. so i mean you've done you've done your homework omira won twice in 98 and he got pga tour player of the year but uh look i i go back and uh, who'd you vote for in 98 I would have voted for O'Meara, okay. I'm sure, because, right. uh, you know, Tiger Woods only won once in 98. That's true, yeah. And he, you know, didn't have the best year, and O'Meara had the, the year of his life. He deserved it. Um, but, in, you know, the, the the most controversial year of probably all time should be 1950. Um, yes, Sam Snead 11, won 11 times. 11 to 1. And Hogan won once, and it just happened to be the U.S. Open. And, he, and, and look, you go look yeah, at the yeah. PGA Player of the Year, and it says, this is their definition, that it is based upon an objective criteria of wins, scoring averages, and finishes. Yeah. Okay? And you're telling me they Ben Hogan Ben Hogan won one time and won? You talk about so, myth-making. That's and then the you most- go try to dig in and find out what weight they give each of those categories, and it's it's pretty hard to find. So in terms of transparency, it's harder to find that transparency on the PGA side than it is on the PGA Tour side. I don't think that the PGA Tour players made a mistake here. I don't think that the preference popularity played as big a role in it as mm-hmm. writers would love to say i don't think that by any margin as a matter of fact if someone were you could make a very you could make this now look i agree it's close mm-hmm. but you could make the argument that it wasn't that we don't worry yeah that rory ran away with it yeah by every because it is the lpga tour have an award for the that player that played the best in the major championships. You want to start that award, we'll give it to Brooks. But the year, the player of the year, Rory simply played better than Brooks. There is no debate about that. Zero. Zero debate. If you're like doing just cumulatively, every stroke Zero counts all debate. year. Zero debate. Rory had the better year. Zero debate. It was better. By it, every objective criteria. Objective if you're just you talking about You want to strokes. talk about majors, well, then we're introducing subjective criteria. Well, because you're you're giving weight to majors over the year, which is not what the award is about. And under years where it's close, and this is close, I think the players are perfectly and were perfectly able to differentiate between who played the best in the majors 
and who had the best year. It just happened to be that it's a very popular player. I, well, and, but and, even no, if I, he I, were, if the shoe were on the other foot, and Brooks had Rory's year, and Rory had Brooks's year, you'd give it to Brooks. Brooks mm-hmm. would have got Player mm-hmm. of the Year. I, I don't think it's. A, yeah, I don't believe in a conspiracy. Not of, at a personality. All. Not at all. The it, players know. I, I the know what year. Fred. Fred was more popular than Corey. In and people would say, wait a minute, if you give Rory Brooks's year, he'd rather have it than his. Okay, yeah, maybe, but that doesn't mean that he had the better year then. I'm with you. It doesn't and, mean that that was the better year. It means that maybe, you know, Rory wants to judge himself by major championships. Sure, but that's not saying you had the better year. Just because if you win one major championship. And well, you're looking at it as a year-long tournament. Every stroke counts. Rory yeah, had a better year. If Rory won two majors... But and missed every single cut other than that. Rory would probably, I'm sure he'd be a little stressed, but meanwhile, he's won six major championships. History would look at him and say, wow, you know, what a phenomenal year. But Rory wouldn't go. Well, so what that. do you think of the total? What do you think of Jack's 18 and Tiger's 14? Who are the, who's the best player in history to As you? As I've said, they should still hold sway. They should still hold sway. And under most circumstances, the player who has the best year in major championships no, is, but I'm talking about now is normally going to have the best year everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and in this but case— But this year it just it did, didn't work out that way. I got way. you. That, that, you know, I'm not it's, even— Yeah. Uh, what you was know, your question about— Well, I was going to ask, you know, in, uh, in terms about all time, but I think one of the things that happens in golf, and you're well aware of this, in the locker room— and in the public opinion, court of public opinion, the the best player has the most valuable opinion, whether it's whether it's <laughs> yeah. the most yeah. foundationally you know factual or not. If Jack Nicholas starts talking about majors as what he played for, it starts to get into the public consciousness that that those are the most important events. And when Tiger Woods says in 2008, and they ask him who should be player of the yeah. year, and he goes, "Well, Padre, he won two majors," yeah. and and it was like. That's look you in, know. in Jack's so, era. Go ahead. In Jack's era, there was no world ranking system. Right. Okay? There was no players' that. championship. So I, I'm actually the, what, the what, players. What interested me about this topic was that I think we're evolving away from this all important designation for majors into something more holistic and 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 wider ranged and more data based to some extent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this could be looked at as a turning point year in that argument. Yeah, to some extent. I, I say that, you know, mm-hmm. early on, the players didn't exist. It, it began in 74, and, you know, Jack won it. Jack won it three times. He won it more than anybody else. So, well, and, and, now, again, and now the players has legitimate long-term history and gives it more credibility Yeah, as well. well, there are loads of writers who mm-hmm. are so reluctant to call it a major. I'm fine. But I will maintain you know, the only it's reason the premier pe- event the, the, in the, the world. The only pe- reason pe- players, not the only reason, the greatest reason that writers don't want to consider it a major, and I'm not even, and I guess I'm in this camp, even though I consider it a premier event, as you do. Uh, I don't know if it is the premier event, but it's certainly, you know, among the, the majors as the most important event. It's the historical consistency. Yeah, that's but, what would be broken up, yeah. and that's the LPGA suffers from that. And w- when people talk about golf history and say the Western Open should have been a major because it was the most important event in the you know in the first in first quarter of the of the twentieth century, and the Metropolitan Open should have been a major, it yeah, makes I, sense objectively, yeah. but it doesn't make sense in terms of the continuity of measuring yeah. history. I guess, but I mean, I, to what extent the LPGA suffers from that is that they haven't had anybody make a run at Patty Berg's total. And well, she they, got all those title holders, and, though. And that's what I'm saying. But, yeah. but but if somebody had made a run at Patty Berg's total of 15 major well. championships, then 
Yeah. The world of the LPGA would be and much more major. I agree with you. And and, uh, and Bobby Jones, no one driven. made a run at Bobby Jones, and he was given 13. You know, which and was, then Jack, and which then is Jack, preposterous. Well, he got but seven. Yeah, but then Jack made his run, and it was like, we got to reevaluate this whole thing. So you make But it was that, it was know? writers saying that Bobby Jones you was don't like writers. <laughs> I love writers. They're my best friends. But they're... Uh, well, there's a lot of look. It, I'm going to say this, and I'll get hammered. But there's a lot of uninformed golf writers yeah. over the years because a lot of golf writers yes. weren't really look, lovers right. of golf. They might have been the baseball beat writer, and they got the golf beat Pe- when they were in their last. People will tell but you. There's a lot of informed golf writers who don't who are yes. thinking differently than what you're saying. People will say that only five men won the career Grand Slam. Bunk, total bunk. You know, Tommy Armour won the career Grand Slam. The Masters wasn't available to him. Mm-hmm. He won the Walter PGA Hagen Championship. He won the U.S. Open, he won the Open, and he won the Western. He won the career Grand Slam by any measure of the stick. But he's no longer part of that group because... Well, as you know, there was no Grand Slam then professionally. The only Grand Slam was the U.S. Open, the U.S. Amateur, the British Open, and the British Amateur. So nobody won that. Right, and again... So it's, it's very arbitrary. Golf history, you know, everybody wants it to be as consistent and numbers-oriented and, you know, data-driven as baseball. And it's just so hard to do. Yeah. But that's what sports writers love to do is unify sports so that you can encapsulate and, you know, compartmentalize all these records and then compare eras. Yes. Well, and that's I, fun. And that but I don't know how accurate it is. It is kind of myth making and we've all bought into it. And I think it's getting broken up now because we have better evaluating tools. There you go. Better mm-hmm. evaluating tools. And, and look. I love writers. They're my best friend. I can name writers till the cows come home that I have dinner I with was and kidding. enjoy. But uh, yeah. but I will not. You know, you read Grantland Rice, and he's a you know fabulous. he wasn't he wasn't a, <clears throat> primarily a golf writer. But, but I know what you're but saying. But he was a myth maker. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And if you don't think Ob Killer and, and was Jackson, elevating, and Dan was too to Ben Hogan. And yeah. if you don't think that there's subjectivity in everybody, Dan was of you know maybe my favorite writer. Ob Keeler. This, this idea that, you know, Grantland Rice wrote the shot heard around the world when Jones, I mean, Sneed hold it. Uh, I mean, Saracen, yeah. When Saracen, not yeah, Sneed, yeah. I mean, Saracen hold it. It's like, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't the shot heard around the world. A few <laughs> hundred people. A few hundred people saw it. And, and, and by the way, it wasn't a major when he hit the, made the shot. It was essentially the Hero World Challenge. Well, it was a get-together. Of you're time. a history reader, and as you know, you know, the victors write history. Uh, it doesn't mean we have to believe well, it. Well, that's we right. Can, as, it doesn't and, mean we have to buy it And that's true. why you know, we, we start talking about presidential you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, regimes, and we go, was that a great? Well, we'll know in 80 years when it all comes out. In other words, it takes time to really evaluate history, and we're trying to make does. instant, instant history with golf. It does. So, you know, right now we're in an era where, yeah. and look, the majors were, in, in Bobby Jones's era, there were five majors. No, I'm sorry. There were, yeah, there were five because it was the U.S. and the British Amateur. And then there was the U.S. Open and the Open of the PGA. But he could only play in four, but there were really five. And then there were six. Mm -hmm. There were six majors. There were six. Okay. There were six premier tournaments. (laughs) Well, no, they were six. They were called majors then. Jack Nicholas had 20. And of those were two U.S. Amateurs. There were six. I see. People want to say that going from four to five is an inconvenience. I'm sorry. No, no. We had six. We had six until somewhere in the 80s. When, when, well, that's when where just, your original argument elites just, actually just, makes it because it was the gentleman's game. And, it, it and, was the, and the biggest elites, elite part of the game was elites. the amateurs. So how do we go from, well, from, because from, you know from what one happens? to two to Here's three happens, to four Randall. to five to six Here's majors? In the end, all this data and all these 
you know, metrics, they are subordinate to the eye test. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. I really believe that in the end you go, you know, that guy's better than that guy because I'm watching and I've been watching for a while and I'm looking at the shots he hits and I'm talking to players who play with him and they believe this and this is why. And that's the best player. Well, the eye and, test and, matters, but so does data. Well, of course it does. So but you I'm see just scoring average. I'm just you saying see strokes gained total. Yes. And I'm sorry. I think Rory that, passes the eye test. Oh, he, he, yeah. he blows the eye test away. And and and, and look, so does Brooks Kepka. Yeah. You know, you watch mm-hmm. Brooks Kepka hit a shot, and you think, oh my, God, that was amazing. And he does. And I loved, I love his move. I love his game. But Rory had the better year. And again, back to those people who are reluctant to say. We can't have a fifth major. I ask you, what did you do when there were six? Well, nobody There paid. were six. There were six, everybody but, but golf was attention. such a minor sport in those days. And now golf's been elevated yeah. to, to something that everybody pays attention so to. So let's have five. And even if you're, well, again, it's a and, big I'm, switch. and I'm fine if people don't want right. to say five. But there's one that stands out above all of them, and it's the Players' Championship. In terms of it, strength of field. It's, it's and what else matters in a major Well, I would say the test other. of the golf course. And I love that golf course, and it's a great test. But the conditions of the setup do not match the rigor of, of the uh, U.S. Open or the... Oh, I see. That's where I disagree. And, and we're happy. I'm happy yeah. to disagree with you there. I, I never liked playing the TPC Sawgrass, but I will not deny what it asks of a player. I cannot think of a single other golf course in the world that asks more of a player from a shot shape standpoint, this is the reason we love Augusta National. Yeah. You get up on 13 and you got to hit a draw off the tee and you got to hit a cut into that green. It's yeah. the reason you get on the first hole and you got to hit a cut off the tee and a draw into the green. Almost every single hole at Sawgrass, Listen, this Sawgrass is... asks for something different off of the tee than it asks for into the now, green. And in addition to that, it intimidates the living hell out of players. Let me just say, okay, okay, I'm a golf writer. And as a golf writer... I always defer to the players on these kind of matters. So I respect what you're saying about TPC Stadium course and, again, and about Augusta. So I'm Riders not, I, hate to cede any ground to TPC Sawgrass because well, the tour owns it. Some and for writers. whatever reason, uh, not 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 yeah. riders in general, but yeah, yeah. a lot of riders. Yeah, they don't want it forced on. They do not they like the fact that the PGA yeah. Tour has designed a golf course. They don't want to give it any credit, well, and they don't want to say that the players is a major because they don't want the powers that be. And yet, it's the powers that be that listen, decided that the Masters. That's was a narrow, a major. petty evaluation. It is. And, it is and, narrow and petty, and that's why I say, if you're telling me you don't think the major, not you, well, if no. someone's sitting across from me and they're telling me the players isn't a major championship. They are biased in their preference for major championships, and they're ignoring the obvious. Or, in my case, they don't want to break up the continuity of the four. It's Again, really that. there used but to be six. Yes, but nobody paid attention when there were six. Oh, bull if they didn't. Nobody thought. They still talk about Bobby Jones winning 13 they majors. They talked about the Grand Slam. They I never talked to those majors. riders they right now. They never called it majors. They just said he won the Grand Slam. They say Slam. he won 13. Yes, Later, he didn't win thirteen majors. Well, no, but he won seven. They didn't start compiling majors. it until there suddenly was Hogan and Snead sort of encroaching slightly on this. So, who's the greatest player? That's always the question. Who's the greatest player in history? How are we going to measure this? There's so much stuff we don't know. We do know about these majors. Let's make it narrow and understandable and digestible, and then we can evaluate. It's not a perfect evaluation. We're, we're better than that. Yeah, we can. Now we can be better than yeah, that. Yeah, we can be better than that. All right. So let's leave it there. That was great. <laughs> and I will say thank you, Randall. <laughs>
And until next time. Thank <laughs> you to all, next time. all our uh, listeners. Appreciate it. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.